Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Cliff podcast. We've got an exciting day here today. I have via Zoom meeting interview, uh, an interview with my good friend, Igor Klybanov. He's the author of, uh, well, countless books, but I can only count up to five or six. So countless <laughs> books on fitness and nutrition. He's one of the top personal trainers in the Toronto area. He is a amazing public speaker, brilliant guy, super charming, and uh, my best friend from Kazakhstan. Give it up for the super awesome Igor Klabinov. Hey, Cliff, good to see you. Happy to be on this podcast, and let's do it. Let's do it, man. How you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. Good, good. How you surviving the uh, COVID times? How's your business going? Business is surprisingly fantastic. Uh, we're about 20, 25% above pre-COVID revenue. Um, and I'm working out twice a day now. Because <laughs> <laughs> you got nothing and else writing to do. Books. And writing <laughs> books and working out. Well, that you know what? This is, uh, this is a, I mean, obviously it's horrible and, and so many deaths and so many people sick and, and the economic damage that this is going to cause the world for many, many years is, is sort of difficult to fathom. Um, if you want to say though, can you make kind of lemonade out of lemons? You know, I think we're going to find a small group of people, um, that are sort of coming out of this better, you know, whether it's physically better, emotionally better, they've worked on their themselves, worked on their relationships, worked on their careers, or maybe recognized that they weren't happy, and here's a chance to, to do something new. So have you found that more people are reaching out to you while your revenue's up? Do you think it's because people are sort of saying, hey, now's the time to get my acting gear and start getting healthier? Yeah, well, that's, that's exactly what it is. At first, when, uh, when COVID hit, people were kind of like in shock, like what's going to happen to my job, what's going to happen to my income. But now that it's kind of been going on for nearly a year, people are like stable wherever they are. And the initial shock has worn off and they're like, all right, let's get let's get back into into, into the swing of things. And yeah, you said, uh, like you said, making lemons out of lemonade. Sure, yes, there's bad economic impacts, the lives lost, etc. But I mean, uh, as you said, like a lot of my clients have said, uh, have said because my kids aren't going to school, it's it's uh, it's it's made me spend way more quality time with them. I've gotten to know them better, um, and likewise, adult kids have said that about their parents. Um, several have said I've gotten I've started working out because I have all this time now. So yeah, I mean, there's yes, there's a lot of bad, but uh, making lemons out of lemonade, there's also a lot of good. Yeah. You're mentioning that you're uh, you're working out in writing. So this book here that we're going to talk about today, High Blood Pressure Reversal Secrets, Four Simple Steps to Lower Blood Pressure in One Month Without Medications. This is book what, five? Six. Book six. Yes. Wow. That's unbelievable. And you read like 50 books a year. Uh, 70 to 80. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Uh, okay. Um, I'm not there. <laughs> I'm definitely not there. Uh, but I did read this one. I found it fascinating. And, and the things I like about your books, um, they're a quick read because you don't get into the, the BS sort of high-level academics that, that I think the average person doesn't need. And I mean, I would understand that. And, and, and I'm kind of interested sometimes in the minutiae physiology of how 
some of these supplements work or some of these exercises work. But when I'm reading a book like this, I still don't want to know that. I can always go and I can go on to a, a, a PubMed sort of publication site and find that out, that out if I want. I just want to know what are the reversal secrets for lowering, uh, lowering high blood pressure. So they're nice and quick and to the point, um, very well researched. And then you always use like a, like a, a story. You use a success story or two. Absolutely. I want it to be practical. I want, it to, to, I, I want the reader to see that this is not just theory. Though the reason I write all my books, I mean, the, the process is, first, I have a client with a problem. Um, and if it's just one client, then I don't make much of it. But if I have a lot of clients with the same problem, uh, then I go to work and I do the research and I figure out what's the best way to resolve that problem, whether it's high blood pressure or diabetes or arthritis or something else. And then once I've, you know, I, I go to the research and then I try the things from research with my clients. If it works, awesome. If it doesn't work, I keep digging and digging and digging until it works. And then once I've had enough success stories that this is not just theory, this is not just research, this is actually here's what I've done with clients. It's worked and it's repeatable and consistent and predictable. Then I write a book about it because I think it needs to get out to the public. Yeah. And so you did this when, uh, I mean, you've had a bunch of clients, I'm sure, talk to you about high blood pressure, but you use the, uh, the story of George. Yes. So tell me what, so what happened? George is, I'm going to, I'm going to, I mean, I know the answer cause I'll, I'll, I can, uh, humbly admit this is our third interview <laughs> uh, about the same topic. The first one was done in another room and the audio, uh, my audio was very bad. Uh, it was kind of echo and all we heard was room is what my, uh, producer said. <laughs> Um, the second one I decided to do on my iPhone, which worked out actually better. I think the audio is probably better, except it didn't record. So I'm back <laughs> to the laptop. But uh, George, you know, I would I would picture George as an overweight uh, man with poor health habits and a uh, history of high blood pressure. Um, but that wasn't necessarily the case, was it? No, he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't old. He wasn't overweight. Actually, he was. Let's, let's call him middle aged. Uh, he was, I think, forty six, forty seven at the time, um, and certainly not overweight. He's been exercising at that time for thirty ish years. So since his mid to late teens. Wow. Um, and despite that, at the point where he came to me, he already had high blood pressure for about ten years. And at first, when he was diagnosed, it was like crazy high. It was like in the one eighties over over like something like one ten or something like that. Very very high, um, and understandably and rightfully so, his doctor was panicking and wanted to put him on medications. George um, had a strong natural health background to the point where he worked in a, in, in a health food store um, as a sales associate, and so he was trying a bunch of different supplements. He wanted to go the natural route. And he was able to, by himself, lower it to about 154 over 103 or so. But that's kind of when it stopped, which is still ridiculously high. Um, despite that, he had been going to his doctor on a regular basis. The doctor kept pushing medications, which understandably so, that, that's a high risk, 154. Um, but despite that, George said, nope. Uh, he kept trying different supplements and so on. Um, so eventually he saw that, uh, that I, I help people with high blood pressure. Uh, so he approached me and, saying, and, and said, can you help me? 
I say, well, I don't know, but let's do an initial assessment and we'll figure it out. After the initial assessment, they saw that, yeah, there were like a lot of opportunities to help him with his high blood pressure from his exercise routine, which again, he was already exercising. He just wasn't doing it right for high blood pressure. Um, there was nutrition. There were certain very small, low-hanging fruits that were, that if we addressed, could have been improved and supplementation. He was already on a ton of supplements because he was a sales clerk in a health food store. So he got a ton of free samples from supplement companies, despite that he wasn't using the right supplements at the right doses. So I saw three big opportunities to help him with his blood pressure, exercise, nutrition, supplements. All right. Well, let's start with uh, exercise. So I would think um, that the secret to lowering blood pressure is doing cardio. And as you know, well, at least in the past, uh, I've done less and less cardio now, except for the form of boxing and, and cold water surfing. And that gets, that gets your heart going, yeah. jump into three degrees Celsius water. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I would think that it's uh, cardiovascular, you know, jump on the bike for an hour or go for a run. Um, what did you do with this guy? Absolutely. So cardio cardio works very well, but it's not the only thing that works. Um, there are two other forms of exercise that can work very, very well. Uh, strength training has slightly lower or maybe on par with cardio, but the effects are much longer lasting. Uh, so for example, the one, one question that researchers always want to answer is whether this is a chronic effect or an acute effect. In other words, if you do cardio, let's say four or five days a week for 10 years, and then you stop, does blood pressure go up right away? Or does it, you know, take some time to go up? And the answer is there is no chronic effect from cardio. As soon as you stop your cardio, even if you've been doing it for 10 years, right away, blood pressure goes up. Not the case with strength training, uh, with strength training. You can do about three or four months of it, then stop. And after three or four months, it still doesn't go back up to where it used to be. So with strength training, there is an acute and a chronic effect. With cardio, just an acute effect. But here's the big difference, frequency. With uh, with cardio, to have an effect, you need between four to six days per week. With strength training, two or three will get the same job done, and it will last longer. So that's not to say it should be either or. If you have six days per week to work out, by all means, do both. And I encourage you to do so. There's benefits from cardio that strength training doesn't have. And likewise, there are benefits from strength training that cardio doesn't have. Um, so if you have six days a week, five days per week, definitely do both. If you don't, if you have to choose one or the other, strength training is definitely the way to go. So that's the second mode of exercise. And the third mode of exercise, I can't call it cardio and I can't call it strength training either. I can call it um, isometrics you know, isometric training, which is um, in the research, what they do is they'll squeeze a dynamometer, uh, which is a device with a spring in it that tells you how many pounds or kilograms of tension or force you're putting in. The reason they do that is because it's very easy to quantify how much is 30% because there's literally a dial there. Outside of research, I like to use larger muscle groups because when you're squeezing a dynamometer, it's just your forearm flexors, which is a relatively small muscle. I like to use much larger muscles, quads, hamstrings, glutes, which in my experience, but unfortunately not, not backed by research because it's hard to quantify, um, has greater blood pressure lowering effects than cardio or strength training or grip training. And it's, it's very, very simple. With, when, when researchers do it with grip, they'll have participants squeeze, their, squeeze the dynamometer with approximately 30% force for two minutes, then they rest for three minutes, and they do that again three more times for a total of four sets. And they'll repeat that kind of work, workout, quote-unquote, uh, uh, three times a week. So 24 minutes of, of work per week. Um, and in the research, they see reductions of anywhere from 8 to 15 millimeters of mercury, which is quite, quite impressive for 24 minutes of work that doesn't require going to the gym or anything. Yeah. Um, 
Now, with larger muscle groups, again, this is not from the research. This is just from experience because they can't research how much is 30% force. Um, I'll tell my clients to hold a static squat um, for about 60 to 70% of their max time. And I'll have them do that between five and eight sets, okay, to accumulate somewhere about two or three minutes. Um, and in my experience, I've seen drops with clients as much as 15 to, uh, to 20 millimeters of mercury in a two to four week period. Uh, so those are the, really the three modes of exercise for high blood pressure specifically. So, I mean, I can do like wall squats. Wall squats would be a good form of isometrics. That, that's a possibility. But what I like to have my clients doing even more than wall squats is not it's just static squats, like go to 90 degrees, um, freestanding in the air without a wall next to you and hold that. Because with wall squats, um, because the wall is kind of holding you up, it's primarily quads. You don't have to use your hamstrings or glutes very much. Whereas when you're doing it in, uh, just in the air, yes, your quads are still working, but you're getting more contribution from, uh, from hamstrings and glutes as well. Gotcha. 90 degrees, not ass to the grass. No, because that, that's a resting position. Oh, all right. I can't get that far down anyways. The, the key is just to not make it a resting position. Like a, a lot of people, like squat is the resting position. So if right. you can rest in, in, in a deep squat, that's not a position for you. You need some tension. So I, I like to flex in the mirror for, uh, interestingly enough, two minutes at a time. I take a break. <laughs> and I do it again. Two minutes, I take a break, and I do it again. And I hold some pretty tough power moves and uh, ultimate <laughs> muscle uh, flexing. You know, I've got uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger posters on my wall. So I'm actually working out. I'm lowering my blood pressure. That must be why it's so good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what my blood pressure is. You know, it's funny. I check. Uh, I've got a history of heart disease in, in my family, as you know, because I, I'm constantly sending you questions that my dad yeah. sent me. He thinks I'm the uh, medical expert in the family. And I guess in the family I am. But what he doesn't realize is that I'm actually getting most of my information from you. Uh, uh, you I, I guess a wise person knows who to ask. They don't know the answer. Yes. And when I don't know, I, I know where to go. Yeah, I don't really check my blood pressure, but I don't. I check. I mean, my doctor checks my uh, my cholesterol. I mean, I'm on TRT. I have been for years, uh, and I love it. Um, my wife might like it, too. So he checks, you know, cholesterol and this and that, but he checks, like, these sort of cardiac inflammatory markers uh, instead, which I guess is probably better than even cholesterol, because you can have high cholesterol without being without having heart disease. Yeah, the whole cholesterol story, I might write about another book about that someday, but um, cholesterol by itself is not a very strong marker. Um, to go on a little bit of a, of a tangent, there's, I mean, after cholesterol was discovered in, uh, in the 50s and 60s, uh, doctors started measuring cholesterol. Then in the 80s, they realized, oh, there's two types of cholesterol, HDL and LDL. Then about 15 or so years ago, they realized, oh, there's actually five subtypes of HDL and not all subtypes are good. And there's also five subtypes of LDL and not all subtypes are bad. Um, likewise, they further discovered that there is not just LDLC and, L and, and HDLC cholesterol. There's also LDLP and HDLP. Um, one is the actual amount of cholesterol inside the particles. The other one is the number of particles. Um, and that makes a difference. For example, LDLC, so what does LDL stand for? Low density lipoprotein. In other words, LDL is not cholesterol. LDL is the protein that carries cholesterol. Okay. And likewise, HDL is high density lipoprotein. So that that's, that means uh, HDL is not cholesterol. It's the protein that carries cholesterol. Um, 
And so now we know there's HDLC, which measures the amount of cholesterol inside the proteins. Then there's HDLP, the number of protein-carrying molecules there are. And so imagine your arteries are like a highway. What contributes more to the traffic on the highway? Is the number of people inside each car or the number of cars on the highway, right? That's why LDLC and HDLC doesn't tell you a heck of a lot about heart disease. LDLP and HDLP tells you a heck of a lot more because that actually tells you the number of cars on the highway, so to speak, or the number of cholesterol particles inside the artery. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, definitely do a book on uh, on, on that because that's uh, that's a big one. This way I can keep eating my uh, egg yolks. Um, That's right. Yeah. And, and actually in 2010, uh, Canada's food guy kind of like uh, 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 repelled their, their, their statement basically saying, yeah, we've been wrong for about 40, 50 years. Eggs are fine now. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, there's probably there's some benefits. I mean, it's an amazing yeah. protein source and, and there's some amazing nutritive qualities to the yolks, especially. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a decent protein source, and uh, yeah, and, and yeah, the yolks contain a healthy fat called lecithin, which is very good for the brain, for the skin, and, and others. Oh, very good. That's why I've got a, a nice, uh, nice complexion. <laughs> a couple of eggs, a couple of eggs a day, uh, whether I need it or not, I eat them. Uh, I, I do this crazy thing that I eat food that I like instead. You know, that's ridiculous. That's a crazy. Uh, cra- I mean, not too much, depending, but. Um, okay, so you had George do these isometric uh, exercises, uh, and then obviously sort of develop the plan eventually. And there's some more information on the book. Next, you talked about diet. How was his diet? Uh, his diet was not great um, to begin with. So, uh, like the biggest opportunity that I've identified after having him keep a food log is the the amount of energy drinks that he was drinking. Um, and he was drinking about two or three like energy drinks per day that are very caffeine containing. Holy and cow. unlike the caffeine, yeah, found in coffee or in tea, where there are other chemicals like catechins or 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 other you know theanine, something something called theanine is an amino acid that counteracts the effects of the stimulatory effects of caffeine. Energy drinks have just caffeine without any counter-regulatory um, uh, chemicals or, or flavonoids or anything like that. Um, so there's nothing to oppose that caffeine. And to put the numbers into perspective, coffee, like a cup of black coffee, has between 90 and 100 milligrams of caffeine. A can of a typical energy drink is somewhere between 150 and 200. So drinking two or three energy drinks per day is equivalent to about five or six cups of coffee a day. Right, without the benefits of coffee like some of those those uh, those amino acids and whatnot, uh, the xanthines yeah. and whatnot. So he's he he's afraid to take medicine, or doesn't agree, doesn't believe in medicine. Works at a naturopathic place, but he guzzles he guzzles energy drinks like it's uh, oxygenated water. Yeah, yeah, essentially. So that was one big opportunity that I've identified. Um, and with my clients, typically, just in, in the interest of long-term behavior change as opposed to a diet, which is held for two or three weeks and I've forgotten about, I like to implement only like one habit at a time. So we, we did everything in two-week cycles. So I said, for the, for these two weeks, I don't want you to change your nutrition at all, except for no energy drinks. And we did that, and we and I had him measure his blood pressure twice per day and reported it back to me every week just to see how are the changes. As long as the changes are good, we kept on doing what we were doing. Once the changes plateaued or stopped, we added one new thing. So after the changes plateaued from uh, cutting out the energy drinks, I had him, um, I gave him a quota. Uh, I gave him a list of foods to eat uh, that help you lower your blood pressure, and I told him to eat at least one of those with each meal per day. What I really wanted to do was I wanted to 
include foods that lower blood, blood pressure for one reason or another. One reason might be higher potassium. So some of the highest foods in potassium would be things like dates, potatoes, um, avocados, sun-dried tomatoes, stuff like that. Um, so that, that's one mechanism. I wanted to also help him uh, get rid of excess water that he shouldn't have in the first place. So diuretics. So celery would be a very good diuretic. Uh, so is spinach. So is garlic, stuff like that. I also wanted to him eating foods that would kind of open up his blood vessels called vasodilation. Some of the best foods for that are things like beets and spinach again. Um, I also wanted to help him uh, get his uh, omega-3, so salmon and, and sardines. Um, so I basically gave him uh, just a list of foods. I didn't explain the reasons to him unless he wanted to, um, of, of foods that would lower his blood pressure. And I asked him to incorporate one of those with each meal, which he did, and that lowered his blood pressure some more. And each week we, or each two weeks, we would incorporate something new, just one little thing um, that would help him lower his blood pressure. So over a 12-week period, we were able to take him down from about 154 over 103 down to around 135 over like 82 or so 83 what what would you consider and let's sort of let's explain to viewers what those numbers mean you know if someone says i have a 120 over 90 blood pressure what does that mean and what is a goal sure uh so uh, i'll start with the goal the goal is 115 over 75 or 110 over 70 somewhere in that range so what are these numbers um these numbers the top number is what's called systolic blood pressure Systolic blood pressure is the amount of pressure that your blood exerts against the arteries when the heart is contracting. The bottom number, that 120 over 80, 120 over 90, that 90 or 80, that's called your diastolic blood pressure. And that's the amount of pressure that the blood exerts against the arteries when the heart is relaxing. So we want to have a nice, good gap, like a 40, 45 millimeter for mercury gap between the top number and the bottom number. So again, ideals are about 115 over 75, 110 over 70, somewhere in that range. You first got him exercising, you cut out the, the crazy caffeinated drinks and regarding his diet. So you, you didn't get aggressive and say, you must stop this. You must stop that. You kind of just yeah. say, hey, here's a, here's a bunch of stuff I would encourage you to eat. Pick what you like, pick some of them. Yeah. And you kind of find, I mean, I guess naturally, you know, if I'm used to eating burger and fries and a chocolate milkshake, and yeah. I go, okay, I need, you know, one thing. All right, instead of having a burger, I'm going to have salmon fries and a chocolate milkshake. Milkshake. Yeah, yeah. Or one thing you might choose to do is instead of having lettuce, you can sp stick in spinach. Yeah. So just, well, that's a good point. Yeah, because people will say, oh, I'm having a salad. It's good. But they're having a, a Caesar salad, which yeah. you know, has uh, romaine lettuce, which probably has some limited nutritional benefits, com certainly compared to spinach. Uh, I, mean, yeah. I knew what he was talking about. You know, or, and, and then this Caesar salad's got, depending on if you're vegetarian or not, it's got bacon and it's got the sauce and et cetera, et cetera. Whereas, yeah, if he's throwing some spinach with some nice, you know, uh, almonds and uh, mandarin oranges, a nice spinach salad, that's going to make a huge difference. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I often say in my in my seminars that a diet needs to be tailored not just to somebody's like physiology, but also to their personality, their psychology. And from a behavior change perspective, we, need to, we don't want to be on a diet for, you know, two or three weeks and then go back to the way we used to be. We want permanent behavior change. Um, and so to, to change behavior, it is much easier to add things to your diet than to remove things from your diet. If I told George, you can't have this, you can't have this, you can't have that, he might do that for two or three weeks, but then go back to the way he used to be. But if I tell him, you can have whatever you want, just add this and this and this. 
um, then he says, well, okay, I can, I can still have whatever I want. I just need, uh, here's some things that I, I just need to hit, hit a quota and that's it. So from a long-term behavior change, that's much, um, much more conducive to that than cutting things out. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll be, yeah, he'll, he'll stick with it for many, many years, especially with blood pressure, because, you know, a lot of us are vain, right? Like we're going to be, we're going to be, we want to lose some weight or we want to look good in a certain set of clothes or we want to lose weight because our knees hurt or our hips hurt or something like that. We want to be able to play with our grandchildren or our kids or whatnot. So, you know, those changes, there's this kind of constant reminder of, hey, you're doing a good job. You look better than you did or you feel better than you did. I would imagine drops in blood pressure Maybe there's something that you feel a little bit better, but I'm very sort of in tune with how my body feels. So I, I, I probably would recognize that if I went from a 180 down to a, you know, 120, let's say for systolic pressure, yeah. generally people aren't going to recognize the benefit on a day to day. So you need to be able to make changes that they, they can easily it's like the reward is, is they don't need a reward to, to do exactly. it. It just becomes natural. Yeah. It's, it's in, in sports psychology, they call it the difference between, between extrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation. Extrinsic motivation is, for example, you lose weight, um, you get compliments, you get money. Like that's not some kind of external reason to do what you're doing. Intrinsic is you're doing it because it feels good. For example, with exercise, for me personally, I don't want to gain muscle. I don't want to lose fat. I'm happy with my body composition. Um, but I like the feeling of exercise, mm. uh, regardless of what benefits I get from it. Now, I want to get stronger. That's kind of like a, that's a, it's, it's like money. It's never enough. Um, so I'm always chasing more strength. But that's intrinsic. If it's intrinsic, it's more likely to be done for your entire life. If it's extrinsic, well, once that reward is gone, whatever that reward may be, then your motivation for it is gone as well. Yeah. And then you just chase another, you just chase another factor. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which, okay. <laughs> I'm thinking I, I got a lot of things uh, that are extrinsically motivating me that I think I realize if I catch up to them and eventually achieve them I'm, six months later, I'll be like, great. Now what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You reach your height and you're, yeah, exactly. What's yeah. Next? Maybe, I, may, maybe my ex-wife is right that I am more shallow than uh, I care to admit. <laughs> for the kids who are watching this she never actually said that <laughs> their mother is very uh we get along quite well um yeah, great. yeah. <laughs> it's that voice in, in in the back of my head saying you're shallow stop doing that um who knows i'm the youngest and i'm uh i'm short so i'm kind of uh <laughs> i'm taller than you though but that, that's not hard to do <laughs> no, no i think you're what five five maybe <laughs> no no five five Really? Oh, very good. Well, yeah. see, there you go. Little guy. You look like a giant five five to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, all right. So you know, there's some great. There's some great. Obviously, I want to tell people to go check out this book um, because there it goes into some decent, usable detail about foods that you can add. And you know, it's interesting you talk about potassium because you know I do have heart disease in my family. I remember my grandfather having heart problems. Uh, he did live till his mid 80s, so he did quite well. But I remember, and I would have been in high school when he cut out the table salt, sodium chloride, sodium, and replaced it for potassium salt, potassium chloride. I think I guess it would have been potassium chloride. And I yeah. would assume that the benefit of that was getting rid of the sodium. But there's also, and I mean, that is beneficial, but there's also benefits 
specifically to the potassium. Yeah, there's actually, it's, uh, it's both actually. Um, the, the common recommendation for high blood pressure is get your blood, get, get your sodium down. They say a person without blood pressure can be around 2300, 2400 milligrams per day. Somebody with high blood pressure be, should be around 1500 milligrams per day. Uh, but then they did, they did a lot of research on that and they found out that yes, lowering your uh, sodium to about that 1500 milligram per day range will lower your blood pressure by an average of two or three millimeters of mercury. However, potassium augmentation, getting it up to about 47, 4,800 milligrams per day can lower your blood pressure as much as seven or eight millimeters of mercury. So somewhere between triple and quadruple um, the amount that, uh, that that sodium restriction does. Now, of course, if you combine the two, uh, you have an even, even, even powerful effect. And as you saw with your grandpa, um, a very small change, but what a, what a substantial difference it makes. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's simple, right? I mean, you can buy those potassium salts or go through the list of foods in your book that are high, naturally high in, in potassium. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it's hilarious that a guy from uh, his family from Kazakhstan is pushing the power of potassium. Um, well, I think it's you, not propaganda, by the way. It's not propaganda. They do have the best potassium. Um, <laughs> this, is a, this is a long-standing joke between, uh, between you and I. Um, and then, so, okay. So this, this guy, George is working at a natural health store. So he was a natural drug pusher and he was uh, partaking in his own products and taking a ton of supplements, but not the right ones and not the right dosages. So what can be done regarding supplementation? Uh, with supplementation, I mean, my, my, my belief on that is that you should take the lowest dose for the shortest possible, uh, possible amount of time. Uh, most supplements are conditional and temporary. So I, th I think pretty much the only supplement that makes sense to take long term for just about everyone is a multivitamin. Um, and even that, not 100% of the time. You take it for six days, you take a day off. You take it for six weeks, you take a week off, um, and so on. Um, but, uh, but every other supplement should be based on either something subjective, symptoms, or objective blood work, or some other kind of laboratory test, whether it's saliva or urine or something else. Um, if it has no subjective benefits and have, if, if it has no objective benefits, I don't see the reason for taking it. Um, it has to have a measurable benefit, whether it's measured in severity of symptoms or if it's measured in milliliters or milligrams or in some kind of thing that could be quantified. Um, other than that, we're like, maybe it's good, maybe it's not good, I don't know. So, and and likewise, you should know when to get off the supplement because if you, you have a blood test, for example, it shows you that something is off that may benefit from supplementation. You take that supplement, you take your blood work again three or six months later. Has that improved? If yes, try lowering the dose or dropping the supplement entirely and getting another test another three to six months later and seeing if it's still good or if it's bad. If it's good, you don't need a supplement anymore. If it's bad, get back on that supplement. So there should be some kind of test and retest to figure out, should you still be using it or do you not need it anymore? Yeah, yeah, that's something... No, you're just making me think of, uh, of, of at work. I see a lot of like liver inflammatory changes in dogs, especially as they age. Not really sure why. I mean, it might be dietary. It might be genetic. I, we sometimes talk about how Mother Nature never expected a dog to live, you know, 16, 17 years. Um, yeah. So it's probably some normal degenerative. But we'll put them on liver supplements, we could just call them. Uh, you know, yeah. detox, anti-inflammatory types, and we check their ALTs and their ALK losses and whatnot later on, uh, you know, three months later. 
And uh, I'll be honest, uh, you know, I see a draw and I'll kind of say, great, that means the milk thistle and the SAMI, which is a short form for this other yep. sort of supplementation, is working. Stick with it. I'll see you again. And, you know, now we'll push it to six months kind of thing. But I should yeah. be thinking more about, hey, we've reduced the inflammation. Now let's see if we can, you know, half your dosage or your dog's yeah. dosage. Yeah, yeah exactly. Wow, look at that. You're making me uh, uh, question my veterinarian uh, tactics, uh, which is good, which is good. We always got to sort of try and uh, try and get better. I mean, uh, uh, I'm a better vet now than I was 23 years ago when I graduated. Um, yeah, there you go. And hopefully I'll well, same thing. The reason, that the reason I read so much research is to always question what I'm currently doing is, and to find out, is there a better way to do what I'm, what I'm already doing? Yeah, yeah. It was one of those old Greek philosopher guys that said that uh, the true wisdom is knowing that you know nothing. Um, yeah. Or Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted's Greatest Adventures. They said that as well. <laughs> Keanu yeah. Reeves. There you go. Back. One or the other. Check it out, uh, viewers. Uh, an old 1980s uh, movie with uh, one of Keanu Reeves' uh, uh, first ones. It's hilarious. The second one looked awful. Um, so supplementation. I mean, what's your what's your kind of go to? What's the the few key ones that you always see are beneficial? Uh, as far as blood pressure is concerned, the three or four that are going to have the most substantial effects are things like coenzyme Q10, uh, also called CoQ10, uh, greens drinks. Uh, magnesium and potassium. What are what are green strengths? Oh, powdered vegetables. Um, I don't know if I can mention brand names, but uh, they're yeah, they're literally okay. So uh, veggie greens by by Progressive. Um, that's one. Um, Genuine Health uh, Greens Plus. So there's a number of them. They're just literally powdered vegetables, and they're 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 green in color, but they might taste like an orange juice or pina colada or something like that. Um, so uh, so yeah, I mean those those have a great effect on on blood pressure. We got we got no advertisers uh, on this podcast yet. Um, yeah. So if if uh, these green drinks guys reach out to me and <laughs> say, "Hey, we're going to advertise," but you mentioned Igor mentioned the wrong one, man, I'm cutting this podcast the second uh, they say that. <laughs> Oof, I, well, I, now I, you can make them compete against each other. That's right. That's right. That's right. Or <laughs> I'll have uh, some really weird auto dubbed. Uh, it'll, it'll clearly not be your voice. Uh, yeah, the lips moving in one way and the voice and the words coming out are something different. It's totally different. Yeah, it'll be like a nice uh, 1980s kung fu movie. Um, yeah, Jackie Chan's <laughs> Definitely. All right. So, I mean, there's a lot that can be done. Now, you know, this book, uh, and I'm going to have um, I'm going to have sort of information regarding links to it and whatnot on our uh, on the summary of the podcast. So, no one has to grab a pen and uh, and quickly jot it down, but. Like, honestly, Igor, how, if I were to read this book and I didn't have any way to reach out to you, how useful is it? Or do I really need somebody that can personalize my sort of treatment plan? I mean, is it going to be better if you use a personalized approach? Sure. For example, the, the, the analogy I make is, could you do your own taxes? Sure. Could an accountant who does this for a living do it better? Yeah. Could you change your your, your own oil in the car? Yeah. Could a mechanic who does that for, for a living do it better? Sure. Could you um, 
could you could you lower your own blood pressure by reading this book? Absolutely, no questions asked. Can somebody who will uh, who does this for a living do it better for you? Yes. Um, so even if you don't hire me or my team, um, absolutely you can lower your blood pressure. Um, now, if you need somebody objective to look over your numbers and keep track of your data and 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 see what's the most appropriate next step, um, there's going to be less trial and error, so you're just going to get there faster. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely hiring an expert is. Uh is way more important. I have some Greek heritage, so I don't understand this tax thing that you're talking about. I, uh... <laughs> <laughs> what are these taxes that you speak of? What are these? I don't. Uh, uh, I pay my taxes. I'm 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 the only one uh, from Greek, from Greece. Oh, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> that's not true. There's, there's uh, my Greek friends are saying all kinds of nasty, uh, nasty words right now. Uh, but they're also <laughs> nodding their heads, saying true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, absolutely. That's true. That's Greek, true. Yeah, Greece is um, the economic problems are no secrets. <laughs> that's right. Um, as I said, you know, I really, really love the book and, and always uh, appreciate talking to you. We're definitely going to have you on. Very quickly, how can people reach out to you um, if they, well, they should buy this book on Amazon. It's, it's, it's quite a deal, but I understand that they can get this free if they reach out to you, right? Yeah, so if somebody wants just the PDF version for free, they can get it at fitnesssolutionsplus.ca slash blood pressure book. But if they want the, uh, the, the print copy, um, they can uh, go on Amazon and type in high blood pressure reversal secrets. Or if there's a chance that they can spell my name, they can just put my name in there. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be on the uh, summary. It's, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's easy enough to spell, but, but who knows. Well, that was, uh, that was fantastic. You, uh, you got another book uh, in the works, right? Yep. Uh, the second part in my chronic condition series, which is going to be type two diabetes reversal secrets. We will be voting on the cover on Facebook in the next day or two. Oh, wow. Fancy, fancy. Look at that. Is it going to have a, another shirtless picture of you uh, showing your abs? <laughs> no more of those. Uh, the, the, it's a funny story about, uh, about that book cover because I don't like to do that kind of stuff. And so the first version of that book called Unlimited Progress, How You Can Unlock Your Body's Potential, had uh, just a picture of a woman running on the beach. Um, and, then, uh, and then I had a picture of me in a business suit on there. And I asked my Facebook audience, what do they think? They said, well, this is not a business book. This is a fitness book. You should have a picture of you shirtless on the car. But I don't like to do that. Uh, they're like, but it's 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 for it's for your it's for your business. I'm like, all right, I'll do that. I'm trying to see if I can see your nipples in this picture, but I think the text, um, I think the text hides them. Oh, thank God. Jesus, no, you got like you don't have a six pack. You got like a twelve pack. Something like that. Something like that. <laughs> man, oh man, good for you, dude. Uh, you know what? It's always a pleasure as always, and uh, it's lots of fun. And you're not going to be watching the Super Bowl today, but uh, uh, I was going to say if you do, then uh, make sure you eat lots of high-potassium foods while you, uh, while you do so. Potato chips, they're high-potassium. But they have salt in them too, though. Oh, that's not yeah, really they have both. <laughs> they have both. Well, there you go. I will, uh, I will eat some potato chips because Igor told me to. So everybody watching the Super Bowl, eating potato chips, they're doing something good for themselves. And I will be squeezing my hand for two minutes, my hands for two minutes at a time, yelling at the refs and not even realizing that that's helping my blood pressure. Yes, just don't squeeze too hard. Right, right. 30%. You got it.
that's good. Well, I, I'm pretty strong, so that's that's that's, that's a lot of good. pressure. Yeah, I have a lot of uh, a lot of uh, grip strength. Yes, grip strength Absolutely. exercises. Yes, it doesn't vary one hand to another. <laughs> uh, no, I, I make sure it's uh, it's bilateral. You know, it, uh, it yeah. it's important that you train both sides equally. Um, yeah, you don't want to create any imbalances. Yeah, it keeps the calluses under control too. Absolutely, <laughs> very good. Well, <laughs> we are we are slipping into the depths of uh, of of uh, political incorrectness here. So let's end it on that. Thanks very much, buddy, and uh, everyone, stay tuned for more future episodes of the Dr. Cliff podcast. And as always, be kind to animals. Peace.